This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Well, greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I am your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? (laughs) So I see I'm still the only audio first guy on this this call because i got the big headphones studio headphones everybody else <laughs> everybody you know looking good you, you know i'm you just saying the rule of podcast everybody can't see you brother i'm just saying yeah. look that's all right that's all right i can hear y'all great and i'm super excited about <laughs> the show today yes oh and let's get to that's, it, a, that's a double entendre <laughs> <laughs> look the mc showing up i got bars <laughs> i didn't even look I didn't even catch it. Jamar's a boxer, a rapper. I don't know what's going on. What else? What else is going to be discovered about him? <laughs> but of course, the voice that you hear, the third voice, is the writer, artist, filmmaker, philanthropist, creative artisan, creative, black man, husband, father, gift to the body I'll of Christ. Them all. I'll take them all. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Show Baraka. Show, what's going on, brother? I, I, I'm doing great. I do all of them at a very incompetent level, but I, I'll take it. Oh, I'll take no, it. we not. We not. No, no. Okay, I just playing. Joe, no, we, no, we not doing that? Up. We gas okay. up. We gas up. Except, <laughs> hold up. Did I hear Did I hear Jamar has hands? Jamar, you got hands, bro? Uh, you know, man? back in the day in college, I a champion. engaged in, you what? know. What? The sweet science. I was a, a welterweight champ in, in, in my class. Yeah. What? All right, so wait, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Fight racism. <laughs> Let's go. I look. I would have never thought that. Is what do I need to do to get you and KB in the ring? I know. This oh wow. Oh wow. This is not the first time this has been. This is the first I'll time. Commentate. I'll commentate. Have KB lose about fifty pounds, and then yeah, yeah, <laughs> we could go toe to toe. He that brother. You're gonna be a Tank Davis in there, Jamar. You're gonna be a Tank Davis. Well, listen. I just need a trainer. Show you can, if you can train me, I, I, I might get in the I'll ring for. Get knocked out. <laughs> hey, look, I'm, I'm all, only got street, hey. I don't know what street fights. Uh, you be able street to fight. swinging. We could do. We could do some uh, exhibition fights. Uh, like who's who's that dude? Uh, the 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 young European descended brother who's a YouTube Ooh. star. You know oh, what I'm saying? The Pauls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just gotta be it's just gotta be that exhibition, you know. Uh, I'll walk away with a hundred million if that's cool. That's, that's fine. Cool. Absolutely hilarious. Got Absolutely hands. hilarious. Okay. Since we got hands. This I'm telling you. Well, we are I'm here to two talk piece, this two show. Two piece to- <laughs> <laughs> don't give Tyler any more ammo. Don't give him no more. You heard that introduction. You heard that introduction. Two piece Listen, Listen we got the, next one. the most important insights we have are coming from show. Oh my gosh. Listen. Listen. Man, we gotta talk about the book. He saw that it was good. 
It's a new book by Show Baraka. Talking what a title. About creativity what a work. title. It's absolutely phenomenal. Oh, look at, oh, look really at the artwork. Man. See, if you, so if you're on the podcast and you're listening, you got to get on Patreon to get the video. So this is just a free plug for Patreon. Pay $1 <laughs> episode. You can, get the, you can get the video. The visual, The fancy artwork, everything. Yeah. But show, you are writing a book about creativity, work, all these other, other topics intersecting with faith yes. and your blackness and your humanity. Yeah. Why now? Why that book now? Everything is swirling. And to talk about creativity, creation, work, yeah. it seems like it's countercultural to the moment itself. So yeah. tell us why this book was necessary for you. Yeah. So it's interesting, Jamar, you know, and even you, Tyler, you, you know, congratulations on contributing to, you know, Lecrae's work. Um, Appreciate you know it. that you, you don't write books in months. Books take a year at the, you know, I mean, if you got that kind of pull, you can get a, a published work in some months, but very rarely. Um, so this, this has been a process since 2018. I think I signed. No, 20, yeah, 2018 is when I started the process. 2019 is when I agreed to with the publisher. Um, and then in 2020, the world turned upside down. <laughs> mm. And so you were, I, my challenge was, will this book be relevant when it releases? You know, is this going to be appropriate for the cultural moment? And I just had to trust that the Lord gave me a prophetic voice in the sense that the things that I wanted to talk about would be relevant. And here's what I was struggling with because I didn't want this book to be a book about creativity. I knew that because one, mm. I wanted to reach more than just create. And so I wanted to posture this book in the way that it spoke to people who contribute to one building narratives, people who work, which should be everybody, um, are people who saw themselves in some sort of facet of creating in general. And so, and I was like, man, if people have a better theology of work, if people have a better theology of story, then maybe we wouldn't be in these predicaments that we're in right now. And so that's the reason why I think this book was necessary. That's the reason why I think it still has its place in today, even though from the title and from maybe even from the cover and even from the pitch, it doesn't feel like it's a book on justice. It may not feel like it's a book on race. It may not feel like it's a mm -hmm. book on politics, but it's all of those things just from the, the, the from the standpoint of how we produce and how we create. Mm. That's super helpful. So I have so many questions because your angle angles in this book are, are, are creative, right? So one of the things I want to talk about just globally, just sort of from, from a broad standpoint, the importance of story, yeah. the importance of narrative. Uh, why, why that thing? Uh, that that gripped you and 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 why you think that's so important and yeah. I really do think even though it started the process started a couple of years ago uh super relevant right now talk yes. about story man I simply I, I have this belief that storytelling is identity formation like we all are shaped <laughs> by a story and so <laughs> bro when I was listening to Pac back in the day or you know I grew up in Southern California Snoop Dogg was telling me to smoke a certain type of weed and I was like, well, this <laughs> yeah. is the kind of weed we smoking, y'all, because Tupac said it. <laughs> right, and, right. You know, if the culture told me to, to wear these types of clothes, that's what I wore. As a mature man, um, we listen to, you know, we still listen to hip hop in some ways. But now you get your, your stories told through politics or through literature, you know, um, academia. They're all shaping. They're all telling stories that, that, that form who we are and what we think. And these stories are transmitted through culture, through media through friendships family or whatever 
And I have a, a story about my mother telling me that I look good in red in chapter one. And to this day, red is my favorite color. Right. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that indelible impact she had on me was it was life affirming. She said, baby, you look good in this color. And I was like, well, that's all I need to hear to feel myself. <laughs> I'm like, Come on. like you telling me that red is man. Look, I am going out in these streets wearing red, bro. Like I said, I grew up in Southern California, and so that's not a smart thing to wear red in certain parts of the. <laughs> that was not a neutral statement, <laughs> right? But some of us will die for the things that are affirming to us, right? Hmm. And I also grew up in a household that my mom told me to read the Harlem Renaissance, to read Michael Metz's uh, autobiography, and so at a young age, I knew that the the person who I was was greater than whatever circumstance I was in in Southern California and in an empire. Like I knew that the legacy of Claude McKay and the legacy of Zora Neale Hurston and all these people spoke to me because like I time traveled with them when I read their literature, when I read their work. Mm -hmm. And so that formed who I am today. That's the reason why I love the things I love, I mean, it transitioned to me to love hip hop. Only reason why I'm not a poet today is because hip hop seemed to get more girls than poetry. And so <laughs> I was like, all right, let me stop doing this poetry and rap. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so anyway, yeah. I love um, that. And guess what? Stories called January 6th to happen. You know what I'm saying? Somebody got on a podium, told some stories. Say well, that. Say that. Stories happened before then, but you know. You know, there's stories that 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 formulate things that create ideas and movements, and therefore people act out of those stories. And so, if we tell better stories, we'll see better society. I, I think. Can I? Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Jay. I, I just want to riff off of that for for a second, and part of this is selfish because my new role is is with narrative and advocacy, right? And so. One of the questions we're, we're sort of constantly talking about, particularly in terms of anti-racism, is how you use stories to reshape and change bad narratives, right? Mm -hmm. So so you mentioned the insurrection, and it's really actually packaged as a narrative because they call it, quote, the big lie, right? Mm -hmm. And that can be deployed actually in both directions. But another example sort of case study is critical race theory. And I don't want to go down that rabbit hole per se, but how do we deploy story in mm. the face of misinformation? So <clears throat> I think there's, there's a couple ways you can do it. I mean, I think, and I'll speak, I'll speak authoritatively from a creative and an artist because I feel like that's where I'm most capable of doing. So um, I think you can do it. You, you, you tell better stories through anecdotes and the, political space you could tell better stories as antidotes in the academic space and you know social space which is helpful but for me in the creative space i think you tell better stories that sometimes you fight fiction with fiction if you if you will right so i think about you know some of the the great luminaries that i appreciate everybody from you know the tony morrisons to uh you know the the zora Neals and the the great literature writers of our day and their fiction disarms people about a truth that they may have held tightly to. And it gets them to imagine a world, a democracy, politics, race in a way that maybe they they didn't before. Music does the same thing. I mean, you, you I wish I can think of a, a song, but you think about people who will engage a musical product more than they will, they will they'll engage somebody saying the same things, but on a podium. 
right? And so um, I write music now in order to create conversations, to invite people to this place, to create this hospitable space for people to, to, to talk at one another, to talk to one another better yet. And so music does, art does a beautiful thing of disarming. Story does a beautiful thing of disarming. And so for me, um, when I think about, um, <clears throat> like in sports, there was this, this, this you know, the, our coach would just say, if you want people to stop dancing in the end zone, stop them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so for me, it's like, well, if we want people, Tony Morrison, Tony Morrison makes the statement, if you know, write the stories that you want to read. And for me, if it's like, if I want to s- stop terrible stories, well, then write better stories. Turn people's attention away from those stories. Snatch the attention of the folks who are hearing these these ridiculous, vile stories and give them stories that, you know, creatively expand their imagination. And uh, especially Flannery O'Connor was a person who did this exceptionally well, especially as a white woman in the South who 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 had the trust of the Southerner, the white Southerner and talked about their racism, poked at their racism and told stories that showed them a mirror of themselves. And I think we we just we we not say we need to employ art in a way that tells honest stories, not only about the uh, I guess you say our our opposition, but us as well. Yeah. You know, one of the things I really love about that element, specifically within the book, is that this book is not safe. <laughs> and it's clear even from the language choices that you allow yeah, to be put in yeah. there. Um, <laughs> and I saw you post some things about people saying, oh, I was listening to this in my in my car. And my kids were in here, and then it said this. It was like quoting the rap lyrics. I was like, "Oh, but I yeah. love that because they're they gonna like take him off the shelves at Lifeway." Wait a minute. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh they don't exist no more. Deep cut, deep cut, deep cut. <laughs> now, I, I, yeah, I think I think it was so good to hear kind of a fuller perspective of yeah. your heart and your mind on life, and, and I just want to hold space for that because I think you've been through a lot over the past decade. And we're going to get into that because we followed you for a while. We've had you on the show before, but it's been years. Yeah. And watching your journey with art and with faith and also being ostracized and pushed out. And then now the culture has kind of moved towards that. Yeah. And so it's just like all these things that are, what did it feel like to really share your journey and mm. share those parts of yourself as you were navigating this? Because I know it had to have been personal for you to write some of this stuff down because it's what you went through. It's, you know, it wasn't, it's, I think the most, the most difficult part was censoring myself, if anything, um, mm. or knowing that I needed to censor myself because some relationships still aren't fully repaired. Some mm. people that I could have said more about, uh, I did it and I wanted to honor, I thought, you know, this, I didn't want this to be a memoir, like a tell all book. I wanted this to be a What's the word I'm looking at? I wanted this to be a catalyst for people who are like me, but maybe younger. And they're like, man, for some reason, these evangelical spaces are just, they're restricting me. Like, I, I don't know what to do. Young man, here's this book. Like, listen to this story. And here's how I navigated it. Hopefully this will be beneficial for you. Let me put you on game, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it wasn't difficult for me to necessarily share my story. It was more difficult for me to, like, if you read this book, you can probably tell, like, it's, it's more of like a collection of essays than it is this one right. consistent thought. And I knew there were things I wanted to talk about. And in chapter five, I really wanted to talk about what does it mean to either exist in the evangelical space or leave an evangelical space. And for me, I was like, bro, like 
here's some some tools and some principles that I've used. And hopefully for those folks that are in these spaces, if we're going to leave, what can we build? Like, man, bro, like what can we build? It's funny. I'm going to divert a little bit. I was having a conversation with Lecrae this past week and your name came up, Tyler, because he said that you said mm-hmm. the same thing to him. I told Lecrae, I was like, look, bro, I, I like with all your ops that you have with Christian hip hop and et cetera, et cetera. One of the, one of the things that you, that we need to do is we need to build land. We need land and we need legacy. Like I talk about this in my book, but um, the land and the legacy can't be built without you. Like we need a Lecrae to take ownership of this particular entity, this cultural product that these black folks have been building and white people own. You know what I'm saying? And until black people start owning this cultural yes. product, bro, we're going to continue 50 years from now. We're going to be like, oh, our kids, kids are going to be like, yo, what did y'all leave us? And we're like, well, we got these ideas. <laughs> we got these ideas we got for you. And that's kind of that's kind of my tension between the Booker T and the Du Bois is like, why do we have to be either or? Like the boys had some great ideas and Booker T actually had brick and mortar. If we put that together, bro, it'll be a beast of a combination. And it, and it, and it, and, it, and I, I praise God for entities, even like yourselves, and you know, and like how can these different institutions begin to figure out rather than being competitive with one another, you know, how do we build institutions that can leave a legacy? Because the one thing that we can't do as black evangelicals, if you call yourself that, but black Christians is we do not have enough resource and manpower for five people to be doing the same thing. Hmm. We just we just can't do it. Reach on it, yeah. We need one or two good institutions that do that thing, and then we need to support that thing. And then let's move over to the next, like, hey, who's doing the music thing? Y'all do, all right, we go, who's doing the, the conference thing? Okay, okay. Who's doing the educational, okay. And rather than everybody creating 18 different church plan organizations, 18 different, you know, media platforms, 18 different. Right. It's like, look, bro, we're, we're killing ourselves. Um, and so for me, I just wanted to give this, what I think is a game plan of how you can save your life before it gets to a point of extreme uh, confusion and chaos. So, so let, let's, let's, let's go there show, because I think it's important that the three of us are on this. Let's talk about this. Tyler, Tyler, Tyler's uh, getting ready. He's rubbing his hands. No, I, I, no, I just, let's talk about this because organizationally, black Christian organizations, uh-huh. can you talk about some of the challenges of collaboration? And, and, and this is, this is an open, it's an open conversation. Okay. No, yeah. Here. I think, look, we, open, I want it's, it to it's be an open conversation. <laughs> Really real. I think, you know, so there's a there's a couple of things, I think. Um, one, there's always the the, 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 the the greatest problem is always this idea of doctrine and philosophy. And like, do you align with fill in the blank? Yes. And so I think in some ways, yeah, like, you know, that's important. You know, yeah, I don't want people to to forfeit the fidelity of the scriptures and et cetera. But there are some things that we have to just let loose of. Like, I, I'm gonna be completely candid with you. I'm not the biggest supporter of like the biggest proponent, better yet, of Black Lives Matter, the institution. But if they came to me and asked me to partner with them in, in some way, I would do it because I'm like, all right, yeah. I, at the end of the day, there's a there's a there's an interest towards justice and liberation that I think we share, and we could be cold belligerent. Boom. Now, um, are there going to be some dissenting 
I, of course, obviously. They're going to look at me and they're going to be like, X, Y, and Z. I'm going to look at them, X, Y, and Z. But if there's a way that we can collaborate, great. So when I look at, even within the Christian space, we have too much of that, even with people who have similar views. And I'm like, I don't understand. The other thing is, I think we have a deficient, we have such a deficiency in um, an opportunity that a lot of us are, there's a lot of us who had, who've seen, who've experienced the deficiency in platform and resources that when we get it, we feel like we got to hoard it. Hmm. And uh, it's our responsibility to make sure that we <laughs> steward it well. <laughs> I put steward in quotation <laughs> which means it's just you. And so it's hard for, um, and then there's just the, the, the theological or the philosophical disagreement on, well, this person is attached or has this attachment to this particular group of people or institution and these people have this attachment to this particular individual or people i mean very similar to all of history black history from delaney to and and douglas to uh you know claude mckay and garvey and booker t and du bois it's like why can't these folks collaborate i don't understand we could be so much further if people decided to collaborate I, it makes no sense amongst the talent on this call the talent in uh, 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 the folks that have so many different platforms. I'm like, bro, we could create a revolution in the black evangelical black Christian space. But for some reason, there's this unspoken. I don't know what you call it that exists. And I text Jamar and I texted about a couple months ago. There was something that I tweeted and I wanted him to know. It's like, look, man, I want to be perfectly honest and, and, and transparent with you. Like, I did think of you a little bit when I tested, when I text this out. However, this doesn't mean that I don't love you and I don't respect you and fill in the blank. And I think there's too much subtweeting, there's too much like uh, mm. communication that and people aren't being honest and and, um, and transparent with one another and getting through the messiness of our uh, of our of some of our philosophical differences. So it's some of those three areas, and I'm sure there's other ones that I can't think of, but those three, I think, are the most prominent issues that I think we have to figure out how to get over because it feels good. And I, I hate to call people tokens because I don't, or Toms. I don't sure, think that's yeah, fair. Yeah. I don't think that's fair. But it does feel good to feel wanted. Hmm. I experienced that for many years. It feels good to feel desired, to feel loved over. And to to be the 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 man or the you know the woman in a particular institution, and when you feel that way, and somebody's talking about collaborating, and you and you're you there's a potential that you won't be that anymore. It's difficult. It's a difficult thing to let go of. So I don't know. What are y'all thoughts? What are some of your things that you guys think? So thank you for being honest. I think that's extremely helpful. I'm gonna let Jamar hop in here in a second. I think you know what I would say we do a good and bad job of, this is a positive and a negative, is we collaborate in crisis. Mm. And it always takes a tragedy or a danger or an outside force or overt racist attacking us for us to come together. And, and it's so interesting because I think about this, even the people who I'm not necessarily, you know, I, we're, we're honest, but even the people who I'm not necessarily like, oh man, I'm you know rocking with them, everything they say on Twitter, if a racist attacks them, it's like, oh, they attacked all of us. Or if someone publishes something slanders, oh, they attacked all of us. But yeah, then it's so it's so easy for us to retreat back to that corner. Yeah, and, and I also want to be honest about the fact that Jamar and I are working through what it looks like for this to be a reality. And there's some people behind the scenes that have really helped us. But 
you know, I think I think there is a level to which black people and I'll be specific black men mm-hmm. it's it's very hard for us to navigate who leads who. Absolutely. And it's very hard for us to navigate how leadership is dispersed and shared mm-hmm. and the the implicit feeling that if we step into a space with people who are not jot and tittle in line with everything that we think or believe mm-hmm that we'll lose part of ourselves. And that's always mm-hmm. the greatest fear, I think, implicitly yeah. with a lot of black Christians who are push- pursuing justice and pushing these movements, that we're gonna lose part of ourselves because we lost so much of ourselves when we were immersed in white spaces, when we were immersed in whatever it may yeah. be. And so I think those are two that we're still working through, man. I'm glad you Absolutely. went there. Because I was, I was wondering if you're gonna go there. I'm glad you went there because I think we're still navigating it because I hate the being in black church for so many years and working in black organizations. I just hate the stigma that we can't work together. Yeah. I just hate the stigma that we can't navigate this together or that there's not something that we can collaborate on, even if we do disagree and wrestle with one another and struggle. Uh, I, I just cannot stand that idea. And I think it hurts our people more than it does our reputation with white people. So it's not like what it peers in, you know, what people say about us peering in. I'm talking about it hurts yeah. our community. Absolutely. You know? And so, yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, Jamar, Jamar, hop in. Ooh, this is this is <laughs> such an important conversation. Um, I, I I don't have a unifying thought, but I have a smattering of thoughts. Right. Um, All of us. One one, of the, one of the issues. <laughs> well, one of the issues, it, it, you know. I stumbled into institution building, right, it, uh, with what started out as a reformed African-American network and then what became the witness. Um, I didn't have some sort of master plan or overarching philosophy. I was just like, we can't get it done in these white spaces. We got to do something for us, by us kind of a thing. And it is so much work to be black, let alone black and Christian, and build something. Like that takes 80% of your energy <laughs> and, and anything that's left is, um, is rare and valuable as far as additional energy, thought, creativity that, that we have. Right. So, so I think part of it is we're all in our respective organizations sort of stuck in survival mode. Um, and, and, and the paradox of that is, well, maybe we wouldn't be stuck in survivor mode if we worked together more. Right. So, so then the other aspect though, is philosophy of change. So if you look back historically at movements and all those sort of, um, dichotomies that you listed show between the different individuals and personalities where they couldn't get on the same page was an approach to change. How does change happen and how does it happen effectively? And then when there was a disagreement, that was sort of end of it, right? Uh, Related to that and related to the survival mode aspect uh, is when do we have time to really think about and collaborate on these things, right? Part of it's even just logistical. I can't tell you. I mean, for, for, for my entire career in these sort of black Christian, black evangelical spaces, we've been talking about gatherings we've been talking about strategic get-togethers of you know particular voices in particular spaces that when we come together we can voltron up and 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 no matter what comes of it concretely we can at least communicate and and um 
theologize and philosophize, right? I think it's happened bits and pieces here and there, but I wonder if that gathering has has really ever come together in literally in the 21st century, in the past 20 years, right? And 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 that's important because that gives us chronological and mental space to explore some of this stuff, also to build relationships. The last thing I'll say is it's hard to talk about this stuff in the abstract. Um, so Tyler, when you mentioned like we come together in crisis, that's because a crisis presents us with a specific situation in which to intervene. Sure. Uh, somebody said something, somebody wrote something, somebody absolutely. got killed. So, so the question then is, you know, I, I bet you we're probably broadly on the same page as far as aims, right? We want voting rights. We want um, transformation in public safety so that uh, uh, getting pulled over doesn't cause an anxiety attack, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but is there one thing or, or, or uh, an initiative or an issue that mm-hmm. we can actually name and get together on? And I think that would actually be easier because like you were saying, show, you know, if, if BLM approached you with something, oh, we got this march or we got this, you know, social media campaign, that's a specific ask that we can uh, evaluate. So that's what I'm. Yeah, no, I think it's, yeah. That's helpful. This could be a conversation for, this could be a conversation. The, the, the one thing that I will say is I am, and th- this is the romantic in me, which is funny because I'm not a romantic. I'm almost a pessimist to my detriment. Hmm. Um, I am thinking greater than just an, it's like a campaign. I am thinking greater than just a issue. Um, yes, voting rights. If that was the thing, I'm pretty sure we can easily get um, 15 black institutions or leaders around a voting rights campaign. I'm thinking about legacy. Oh, I am saying like, is there a way to get collective synergy, a collective movement behind these prominent institutions and movements within cl- and Black Christian spaces that are doing work in similar mm-hmm. in similar pl- similar places, so that the folks who support the and campaign could also jump on past the mic. Like, so it's not just the the campaign has its crowd, past the mic has its crowd. Um, you know, uh, I forget the name, but like the National Baptist Convention, uh, the, the the Black National Convention has its mm-hmm. its its, yep. its group, and the you know, like uh, you know, Vince Bantu is trying to start a seminary. Sure, uh, sure. Like I'm saying, like there are too many of these great thinkers and movements that have a following that have great um, ideas that are operating almost in silos. And to Tyler's point. The only time we can create some synergy is in crisis. But when there is feast, how do we use the resources of that feast and <laughs> these this white institutional money? If you're if you're for that, because I'm all the way for taking these folks' money and using it for the good. <laughs> like, how do we use when these folks are contrite and they want to they want to see some repair and say, hey, let's put it towards some sort of grand institutional building um, or some sort of infrastructure that pushes people towards some unified movements. Uh, and I, I am not smart enough to create that. I'm smart enough to dream it and say, Jamar, Tyler, figure this thing out, but we need it. I can bring my, <laughs> I use my influence to bring some of these jokers. Look, I'll call it Lecrae. Come through. Like, you know, this come mm-hmm. through. Like we need you, bro. Rebuke. Yo, you, yes, you are a Christian hip hop artist. Be a Christian hip hop artist and support these movements. And then you over here, like, 
we just need people to come together mm. and figure out how to create this black coalition of folks who want to do justice. There's too many of us that yeah. are, are, uh, and I don't know if that's just, if it's wishful thinking, because it may be, because either way, I still want to see people succeed no matter, you know, if I'm a part or attached to the movement or not, I want to see people succeed, but I think they will succeed better. And here's the other thing. I mean, let's be real. We got to appeal to people's self-interest because the reality is, is, yeah. And how do you do that? How do you appeal to people's self-interest, right? Well, come on. Let's check this out, bro. Um, you come, where's your next book coming out? Like, all right, shoot. We're going to figure out how to make that thing even bigger than the last book. You know what I'm saying? Now that we have this greater collective, you know what I'm saying? Get Charlie Dates and all his buddies and, you know, like, hey, do a church tour, you know, through these. So it's just, it's just, hmm. it's just thinking like that. Like, how do we, how do we get people? But I think we're all communicating the the obstacles that we know that are before us, but I don't think they're big enough to cripple us from being dangerous, not only for the kingdom of God, but for those folks who have been on the market so long. Yeah, and let me say, I, I think this is an extremely important conversation, and I actually, I actually think we need to have a follow up conversation with you about this with, you know, some of our friends, Lisa Fields, um, mm-hmm. Ali on our team, Truce Table. Um, some of our sisters as well, because I, I, I think there's just, there's so many different perspectives that I feel like they'll bring to this conversation. And there's also some of this is just like black male dynamics as well, you know? So, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, absolutely. Just, we're trying to navigate this together. And so many of our leaders in the past, you know, I've been black women who just said, we got to get this done. So y'all can work this out later, but we're going to get this done. I think um, what you're doing there, I didn't name enough women. My bad. No, 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 no. I really know about it. I was just thinking, no, but the reason I was thinking this, no, seriously, the reason I was thinking this was I was recently at this um, gathering with Vince and Lisa, Uh and we were strategizing, talking about certain things, and I remember thinking, I've never spent time in the room with them where it wasn't like an event or it wasn't like something we were passing by or, you know, hey, how's it going? And and when I got, when I saw Lisa, what she was doing, when I saw Vince, I was like, okay, this is really interesting how these two, how these perspectives intersect with ours. And then, you know, there are differences and then there are different goals and aims. And it was just, so it just made me think of that gathering. That's why I said Lisa, because it just made me think like, oh yeah. Absolutely. You know, like the, the perspective and the influence of black women is just so essential to this conversation. Man, okay, no, so we, don't, we, don't, we, we need to continue this. We need to continue this. <laughs> this episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu slash admit. But I do, I did tell you, I wanted to talk about your perspective on Christian hip hop and your navigation of your reach records exit, your expansion beyond just that little silo in Christian hip hop. 
to really making broad music and making groundbreaking music as well. Like if you think about Jim Crow as a mm. song, I remember like people don't yes. under, people do not it was understand a like when when that Twitter wasn't as big as it was now, but it felt like that dominated black Christian Twitter. Like mm-hmm. everyone's talking about Jim Crow, especially in the Christian hip hop space. Everybody was saying, well, he shouldn't say this. He should say this. He shouldn't say mm-hmm. this. And and then even even the broader conversation about how art was dealt with and right. the influence of what you even talk about in the book is it felt like y'all were being recruited as culture warriors, mm-hmm. uh, be treated like Puritan. You had to you had to uh, evaluate things like Puritan pastors. Yep. yep. Um, talk about that journey out and some of the things that you've learned on the way out and are still learning about that time. It's good. I'm glad you said still learning because I, I do think there's a time, there, there are times, even me, when I talk about this, I feel like I've arrived in some ways and I don't want to come off as arrogant. And, and, uh, and, and to be really serious though, I appreciate you um, mentioning Truth's Table and Lisa Fields because I think it's good, like, because I, I can get in this mode where I just talk about leaders and institution, and then you name men, you know what I'm saying? And you, you have to be very vigilant and understanding the obstacles that, you know, that we sometimes create, and that is the marginalizing of women leaders and their voices. And so I think that's, I think stuff like that is that the things that we have to be contented in. It's like, yo, we are still learning. I'm still, I am still, even though I feel like I'm a great advocate. It's very important to be an advocate in moments like this as well. So for me, man, like I have to, like I've talked about this recently, but people, you know, don't know. Like I grew the kind of household I grew up in. It was my mom was a Black Panther, um, you know, outside Los Angeles. Grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, I grew up outside Los Angeles, and so my whole life, like I grew up Rodney King beatings, race riots, OJ trial. That was my LAPD. Um, you know go to uh, graduate high school, go to Tuskegee University, not because um, I had to, I wanted to. I am in the West Coast. Ain't no black colleges nowhere near west of the Missis- uh, west of Texas. So it's like, I wanted to go to an HBCU. And so for me, you know, living, not living single, uh, what's the Hillman College? What is that? The TV show. Where am I? Yeah, Cosby Show? No, nah, not Cosby Show, the, the, the spinoff with Lisa Bonet and- Oh, Different World? Different World. Different world and school days were like my <laughs> my introduction into this desire to want to go to a black college. And so I do that. I become a Christian many years later. And then I get introduced into this, you know, this white evangelical world. And I'm like, oh, so all the things that made me who I am, I got to forfeit that. Like, I got to I got to give that up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I got to start reading, you know, these Puritan pastors. And and as much as I'm going <laughs> to mock my experience there. Yes, I did learn some great things from the John, uh, John Edwards and the, the Luthers and the Pipers. And like, granted, there was truth that they gave. However, there's no good. There's, it's not beneficial when you're getting insight, but you feel like you have to demoralize the very thing that made you who you are. Mm-hmm. Right. And so for me, there was this moment in 2011, 2012, when I knew I was kind of like leaving Reach Records. I knew it was pretty much the end of my rope because we had been sitting with all these great prominent pastors. We had had funding by these these organizations. And I just felt like at the end of the day, oh, um, Omar Grant was shot by police officers in 2010. And I just knew that I couldn't just keep making the same kind of music that I made and 
ignore the Oscar grants. And then Rakia Boyd was shot in mm. Chicago. Mm. And I'm sitting here thinking like, like, does anybody, like, are we going to talk about this? Is anybody going to mention this? Like, I grew up in California. I've seen police brutality. My uncle was literally choked out by police officers in mm. um, the uh, early 90s when Phoenix, or not Phoenix, when Arizona was debating on whether or not they were going to celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday. And so that's my experience. Like I, I couldn't avoid this stuff. These conversations were, were ever present on me. And I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, but they're cool when I talk about gang violence. They're cool when I talk about the pathologies of the black community. Right? Yeah. But I can't talk about the things that created those pathologies, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, I just can't do this anymore, bro. I was just like, I just can't. I have to, I got to figure out how to do something different. And I had a meeting with a brother uh, and he was just like, Joe, you need to stop reading these theologians and get back to reading the people that led you to Tuskegee. And that's Mm. what I did. And I started to read more of the sociologists of the past, the the poets and the the prophetic voices of the brothers and sisters who came before us. And that made me think like, oh, I just can't make music the same way that I made it before. And Mm. so at that point, I knew I couldn't do this. And, you know, these this is not slander because I've had this conversation with Reach Records and those relationships are healed and, and amended. Uh, and there's a documentary that they're actually doing. So I talk about this as well. But uh, I don't know if I was supposed to say that. <laughs> I don't know if I was supposed to say that. Uh, yes, uh, yes. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but anyway, the point is, is that um, I felt like at that moment, um, we were mercenaries for a culture war. Um, we were rewarded for for calling out things that that benefited, you know, these uh, these evangelicals because it gave them credibility that these black men were speaking to issues that um that I guess you can say accel- accelerated their reason for missions and charity in particular communities without dealing with the systems that created them, and um or um. Let's, 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 this is the reason why we need to support these things. Uh, this is the reason why we need these church plants. So this is the reason why we need that. And I'm like, yeah, granted, we need there, there needs to be charitable work. There needs to be churches, but not done in that with those pretenses. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not done from those postures. And so that was my reason for Talent of Tenth, which also included the song Jim Crow, which you talked about, which as you listen to those songs now, which were... I guess revolutionary at the time. Now today, it's like, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, oh, that's what he's talking about. Oh, yeah. well, at least I don't know. Oh, maybe no, still you're, no. I mean, I yeah. I think I think there are elements in the way you're having a conversation. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still in the Christian space, I think we yeah. still have these hesitations Fact. about okay. what yeah. we talk about and like the nuance of how we talk about it. And so I think that album, that album, and the narrative. Were yeah. very, were very bold in how they kind of dealt with and approached those topics. Yeah, and I, I still don't. I, I mean, I feel like we need collective healing from that period. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like we all yeah. need. I don't know if it's a conversation, a moment, a lament, you know, whatever. But I feel like we lost a lot, and I feel like we just moved past that, and it passed very. It seemed to pass very quickly because it was at its height and then extended for a while and then just moved very quickly off of everyone's radar and everyone's mind. I think it's generational, too. I think, you know, some of us got a little bit older. We got into certain things. 
But man, yeah. that was I think I, I think there's a lot of pain there. Oh, I think I think you're spitting wisdom. I think what you're saying is so wise because what I've seen is the way that people have, are. I don't, I, I don't want to. De- 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 I don't want to demoralize the, the how people are healing, but the way that people are dealing with it is they're totally abandoning the church. Like they're they're to- and I'm not talking about just people who were consumers of like the products that people were giving out those times from the rants to the reaches to the the church planning network. I'm just saying like the leaders, there are leaders who were part of those who are the ones who were created, who are now just like, I'm done. And I, and I think that's sad. I think that's disheartening because to me, and this could be controversial. I feel like that empowers whiteness and white supremacy even more to allow those folks to, to allow that to manipulate all of how you view the Christian faith, and the usefulness of the church to me empowers white supremacy more than I think it is. Yeah, we've we've had to delineate. Um, early in 2021, on past the mic, we had the the Leave Loud series, and people thought what we meant was right. leaving Christianity. <laughs> we're like, no, we're talking about leaving white supremacist slaveholder Christianity. We're talking mm-hmm. about returning to, or perhaps discovering for the first time, the mm-hmm. Christianity of Christ, right? Yeah. Um, so so I think you're right about that. And, and to your point, Tyler, about healing, one of the things that I'm still trying to heal from, uh, there was this phrase, Colin Hansen wrote the book, Young, Restless, and Reformed. There was a there was a black element of that young, restless, black and reformed, maybe. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> and I think we need healing from that. Right. Like, I think many of us who, quite honestly, if, if at least if I'm speaking to myself, were discipled by what one could what one could call Christian hip hop, which to the credit of many of the leaders, including you show also walked us through the process of extricating ourselves through that, right? That's part of what Talented Tenth was. That's part of what Anomaly was, uh, Lecrae's album for me. Um, A lot of that. Anyway, so, but but I don't know that we ever had closure or at least a reckoning, you know what I'm saying? That that, that we ever really paused to take stock of, of how we got into it, what it did to us, and where we're going now. So That sounds like a Pastor Mike conference or something. (laughs) <laughs> our witness conference we actually no we actually talked about that I, we we have been kind of talking about that behind the scenes i think it needs to be something broader because i think number one there needs to be a lot of honor given to y'all for walking through this in public huh. and it's why i think it's so good that we're having this conversation now i feel like there wasn't the appropriate honor for the people who really laid the track and the groundwork for where many of us are today, because mm-hmm. it is all no, adjacent absolutely. and connected. And yeah, so I think there absolutely. needs to be an honor element there. I also think there just does need to be a space for y'all to share which what and you and you have done so in, in books and, and other forms, but what what's what was really happening and what's really happening now in light of that? Because I sense there's we, we talked about this a, a few weeks ago in this you know, kind of theme of in the wilderness that when you look back at where you were, you feel the sense of shame. And many of us, that's all we knew. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I think it's something we need to repent of. And yes, I think it's something we need to say, I, 
I those comments about black church, black spaces. Uh, I was wilding out. I was believing oh, this and thinking that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But I, I feel like we beat yeah. ourselves up, and I feel like there's not like a level of of healing that can take place in in y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. the, yeah, the fans I, and the audience members that prop propped it up, we haven't given you that space really. I mean, we just yeah. kind of hopped in and out depending <laughs> on what you do when you do it. Right, 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 right. He's tripping, and then when he came around, like, ah, go show. And he's like, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm hurting. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, up and down, you know. I don't know. Look, if I'm, if I'm honest, I, I don't, you know. I don't know if I've completely healed. I feel like I have. You know, that could be the machismo in me that's like, I'm, 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 a, I'm a man. I, I, ain't, I ain't a punk. You know, I don't know. I, I really think that I, I, I was wounded for a good. So, 2012 is when I wrote the narrative. I released it January 1st, 2013. I man, I it got so dark for me in 2013, 2014 that I literally was looking for, like. Any job. I went out, you know, people who lay and I'm mm. not demeaning the work that they do, but, you know, the people who work on freeways and they lay down the the, the strips on the, the, the mm -hmm. grounds. Like I went out. I was like, look, I need a job. I need to work because right now these concerts ain't coming. People don't want me to speak. They don't want me to do anything. And that was because I bit the hand that feed me, that fed me. And mm. the Lord just opened up a door for me to do some other work um, in which I didn't have to do, you know, I didn't have to do that, but it was crazy how I was at the most, I was so humbled and in such a dark place that I was like, yeah, nobody loves me, man. Like, and then Michael Brown is shot. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy because then after that, then people are like, Oh, show you was making sense. And then all of a sudden, all these speaking engagements start coming up. All these, you know, Hey, tell us about teach like, and I was like, oh, this is crazy. Like, you know, what I'm <laughs> and uh, and I think over the over the period of time, it also taught me how to be more compassionate as well. Like uh, because I was really angry. Like I bro, if mm. somebody showed me a tweet of like anybody from Reach Records, I'd be like, man, F them. <laughs> you know That's what I'm saying? Because I was yeah. like, yo, That's man, I felt like I felt like they left me out in the cold. I felt like they didn't support me and blah, 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 blah. And uh but it also told showed me it's like show do you do you give roses to people who came before you are you loving and supporting and giving opportunity to folks that that need to be you know propagated and supported as well and I you know it made me realize like all right I don't want to ever be the thing that I hate and so it taught me how to be humble and I think I've healed from that and so to this day I feel like yo man I just want to see I. I want to see brothers and sisters come to a place where we are, we keep our eyes on the system. We call out white supremacy and institutional racism, wherever it is, but that we build something. Like, I just want to see vision. I want us to construct something so that when my daughter is in her thirties or when my grandkids or whatever, if I ever have it like that, they, would be able to say, oh, this is where I go when I'm feeling like isolated. Like this is this is this is the the publication that I can trust when I when I want to hear somebody talk about the you know the faith and also it's not bifurcated from my my identity as a as a black woman or a man. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, if I'm looking for a church, where's the website that I can trust that's going to lead me? Oh, Jew three has okay. Like, 
who where's the where's the musical identity that I can chase after that? It's in the legacy of the Renaissance and the civil rights movement. Like, oh, it's these particular people. And right now we're so dis we're so disintegrated that I feel that um and I think some of that disintegration is the byproduct of 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 our own inner self-loathing, maybe. But a lot of that is mm. intentional. Like we want to be the woman or we want to be the man. And uh, I think it just takes a lot of humility. And so for me, yeah, I've helped start some institutions, but I'm also willing to shout out and be a part of what other institutions that I feel are going to do the work of the ministry that's not going to marginalize people. And so um, hopefully, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, I I, I exited and um, I, I I feel like, if anything, I exited really well with um, particular institutions because I felt like I could have been more ridiculous. And mm. and I'm glad I wasn't because I think I wasn't mature enough to handle um, being loud, as you guys say, like being leaving loud. Like I would have left loud. And uh, even though I did feel like I, leave, I left loud, but I would have left loud in a yeah. more hood, ridiculous way. <laughs> And like, look, y'all gonna hear me, you know, but um, I will say that the beautiful thing about leaving is when I see my brothers and sisters who have left as well, I want to be able to, 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 to redeem and reconcile the time that we lost. Mm. And I feel like that's starting to happen with some of us. And I want to be able to, to rejoice. But as you said, Tyler, what I think is brilliant is how do we lament and, and uh, just lament together. And so, yeah, hopefully that was cogent. I don't know. Sometimes I'll just be rambling. Nah, that's super helpful. Super helpful. As we, as we sort of round out the conversation, we've been talking a lot about institution building and leaving a legacy. And, and that's so critical and so important. One thing I'm curious about is, in your view, show where is the church in this? What is the church's role as both an organism and an institution as really the oldest, you know, black yeah. institution that we have? Um, how do we not overlook the church as yeah. part of our legacy and also um, learn from, you know, the fact that it's filled with sinners and, and it's also not, yeah, such a capacious institution that is going to encompass everything necessary. Yeah. I, 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 this is where I'll, I'll revert to, to answering as a creative and not necessarily a <laughs> theologian and pastor, because I, though I have much experience in playing those roles, I, I will say, man, I think the one thing that the church needs to do is figure out how to patronize better, um, hmm. like support its the people like the way they they send out missionaries <laughs> how do, how do we figure out to send off entrepreneurs and send off artists and send off hmm. politicians you know what i'm saying because white evangelicals are doing it and and i even think that the black church does does it well in the political space the black church often has real close connections to its local political leaders um um traditional church shall i say the black traditional church um but I think, you know, this movement of folks who are kind of like the, was it the, the the young reformed and restless, that black, neo-black reformed folks who came out of all the different tenets of 
kind of Protestantism that was in this Christian Christian hip hop community, I feel like um, the folks who planted churches who will now be leaders in churches that are in their 50s with like 30 and 20, um, 30s and 40s and now have some sort of institutional power. They got to figure out how to empower those folks that um, are entrepreneurs and artists, um, because at the end of the day, this is all spiritual, obviously, but the spiritual like that spiritual connection has economic uh, repercussions. It has social repercussions. And the church has always been an institution in black community, better yet, that has been closely tied to the um, I guess you can say like the the. The, the social location of its people. So it's always been tethered to, all right, well, how do we support folks financially? How do we support politically? And I think too often what we've done is try to create these movements uh, de- devoid of the church. I think, man, if anything, we have to use the church because we know like these were people galvanized, people trust the institution, no matter what, <laughs> How crazy folks get to church. People don't always go to church. They're going to always go. Folks disappear, but they're going to come back. And so, um, but church leaders have to get to a place where they don't see the church as their own institution to, to, to guide with for their own personal agenda. And, uh, you know, when I have conversations with pastors and they ask me, you know, how can we support artists? I just, that's what I tell them. I said, man, how are you supporting them financially? How are you giving them spaces to flourish and thrive? And are you not just giving them uh, like just the, the 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 plot of land on Sunday morning to just sing songs or rap? But are you giving them more opportunity? Are you giving them more space and, and more leverage? Um, and are we allowing them to exist outside of the the Christian culture paradigm? Because that's another mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. I think about yeah. Toby, right? It's obvious Toby is mm-hmm. Toby. I don't know. How I say his last name, but in way. Is a uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's where you know the uh, my name is Amisha Baraka, but my tongue is very Western, and so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I there's like you know, Toby couldn't make it in Christian hip hop music. Like he, I am so happy that he did not go the Christian hip hop route, because there would be no Toby if he would have taken the Christian hip hop route. You know what I'm saying? That's and right. so right. what I would love is I would love to see more churches more institutions that are Christian to give people the space to say, go and go and thrive. And we're going to send our people, we're going to support you in a way that doesn't have first Ebenezer Baptist church or tied to it. Right. So therefore you limit the audience, right. You limit the, uh, the things you feel like you can, you have to talk about, like how do you remove that evangel evangelical edit away from the artists that are creating, but still love them. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's, that's what I would encourage churches to do. I mean, there's obviously other things theologically, but um, yeah. That's rich. That's really, really good. Absolutely. They should be supporting this yeah. work because it's kingdom work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, my friend. Wow. Well, show, man, you gave us so much to think about. I really so much. this conversation. I'm glad we had this conversation. I think it was healing for us. Yes. Um, uh-huh. and, important and visionary. I feel yes. like there's going to be more stuff that comes out of this. Be, be, we're gonna oh, be texting right after this. All right, throw yeah. me in and hit me up. Let me know what's up. Exactly. Well, where yeah, can man. people support what you're doing? You're doing so much that I want to give you space to talk about. You know your creative, you yeah. know routes and where people can support and give money and obviously buy the book. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Bookstores, but but what yeah. else is going on? 
Well, the book obviously is taking a lot of time. The other thing that uh, I plan on doing is um, this. So I have this this venture called One Good Night. And so we're going to do a virtual event on July 31st and it's going to be donation based. Um, and so it's basically we're all my uh, talents and my friends talents come together. So it's short films, comedy sketches, um, oh. rants, monologues and a musical performance. And it'll be virtual. But then after that, I plan on taking it on the road and doing live events across the country. Um, so like instead of it being like a full blown musical tour, it's like a one man show, if you will. And uh, that'll be in the fall. And so um, that's one way that people can support um That'll happen on July. Like I said, July 31st, you can uh, follow me on social media platforms at Amisho Baraka. It's my full name, A-M-I-S-H-O-B-A-R-A-K-A. And, uh, yep. No, that's awesome. There we go. I will show. One good night. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, the be website sure to have on that info. Uh, we'll yeah. be happy to share it. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Well, bro, Absolutely. No, no, for real, though, thank you guys for having me on, man. Thank you for the conversation. Um, um, I and mean, we rescheduled like three times, but God bless. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think this conversation is, I, my, my hope is this, is that, that this conversation will expand to the, to the, to the brothers and sisters on the, on the four corners of the black Christian space, because there, there is some tough, there are some tough conversations that needs to happen. And yes. hopefully they can happen in a, in a, in a space of hospitality. You know, people can walk away and uh, not just talk about the stuff, but do the stuff, if you will. Amen. Thank you, Shell. Thank you, brother. Y'all be good. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.